0: You're listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. Our guest today is Tyler Chisholm, co-founder and CEO of Clear Motive Group, a full-service marketing agency and the host of two podcasts, They Just Get It and Collisions YYC. Tyler's superpower is being endlessly curious, which has served him in many ways, from growing up on the farm to his passion for marketing. Tyler is a dedicated philanthropist and founder of Red Express, a project designed to put toys in the hands of children in need each holiday season. He's an ambassador for International Justice Mission Canada, helping to support their goal of ending slavery in our lifetime. And in 2012, Tyler received recognition as one of Avenue's top 40 under 40. In this episode of Scaling Culture, Ron and Tyler discuss Clear Motive's incredible journey and their culture aha moment, how to define behaviors that drive values, even with the help of ChatGPT, and incorporate that into a hiring process, key learnings from Jim Collins' most recent event in Chicago, hybrid environments on how to create culture inclusivity for contractors and part-time employees, and strategies for developing leaders within your organization and learning in the flow.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Scaling Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Lovett, and today I've got local, not local, but a, a fellow, I should say, entrepreneur, Tyler Chisholm, who's the CEO of Clear Motive Marketing Group.
2: Did I get that right? You yeah, are you nailed it, man. Clear Motive Marketing Group all day long. How are you doing, Ron? I'm doing great. You know, it's funny.
1: I, I ask that because, I, my, I, I'm, because I'm dyslexic. I write things down. They're so messy. That I I can write it down, and two seconds later, I'm like, "What did I write?" Like, and so I, it's really dumb. I take a 50-50 chance on being able to read my writing. It's pretty bad. <laughs> it's well, man, you nailed it. Podcast. So so
2: far, so far, we're on the we're on the good side of the fifty percent. So I think this, uh, I think I think it sets the tone for a good conversation.
1: <laughs> I think so. And Tyler, you've also got a couple podcasts, uh, which is great, and sounds like you're you're doing very well with your podcast. You've got two. Just quickly talk about the the. Uh, the two podcasts you have and and the- hundred uh...
2: percent. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, I've, I I fell into it. I, I made the mistake of telling a good buddy of mine who was a, a sound engineer for the music industry. I'm like, I'm gonna start a podcast. Yeah, kind of half willy-nilly shows up at my house next day with a box of recording gear. He's like, here you go. I'm like, oh, my bluff has been called. So that was five years ago. I've got two podcasts, they just get it, which is human interest. And I just have fun with that one. I meet somebody, I'm like, wow, you're unique. You're living a, like crazy, like a life that no one ever planned. Your guidance counselor didn't give you these directions. Let's have you on the show. So the other one I do which is probably the one that really took off just before COVID is called Collisions YYC. It's all about economic transformation in Western Canada. So we're just coming up on 400 episodes. So we're going to be hitting wow. 400 here in January and it has been again I launched it just before COVID then all of a sudden everyone was available and everyone wanted to talk. So I went and yeah we probably record about 100 episodes a year from everything from the venture capital space to politics. To the energy transition, to our new tech and evolving and emerging tech ecosystem here in Western Canada. It's given me selfishly, I do it if nobody listens, because I get to talk to just, like the cool people that are doing great things in our community. But it's cool. really opened my eyes to the fact that, like, if you don't think there's a lot going on in your community, it's probably just because you're not turning over a few stones. You know what I mean? So it's been mm. fun from that perspective.
1: Mm. Uh, uh, fantastic. That sounds great. And clear motive. And so you, you and I talked about your entrepreneurial journey. You've had this since I think 2007.
2: Yeah. Well, we, we, we decided to put a, a stake in the ground. We celebrated our 15 year anniversary this summer. So, you know, it's kind of like, when did we start dating exactly? Like, when did I meet your parents? Right. You go back to that where we picked 15 years. So we are 15 years, 15 years proud and 15 years strong effective this year. So yeah, it puts us in a weight. <laughs> so, so first,
1: before we dive into the culture side of that, and, I, and I'm yeah, really yeah. excited to get on this roller coaster ride with you and dive into some <laughs> topics. Um, Tell tell our listeners uh, what Clear Motive does. Just give us a snapshot.
2: Yeah. The best way to sum it up, we are a marketing company and we are a full service agency, which is a real broad thing to say and really kind of easy to say, hard to deliver on. But where we really live and breathe and die is high volume, hardworking, sales-driven creative. So we're more of a marketing operation shop. A couple of our key clients, they're always on, they're always in market, they're competitive, they're sales-oriented cultures. They're not when I say that, it's not that marketing doesn't matter, but it's never as important as the sale at the end. They don't want to win awards. They don't care about having creative that gets, that gets listed at cans. They care about how many units they sold or how many homes or how many motorcycles or how many lawnmowers. So that's very oriented to, and they also have small teams. So they're trying to do a lot internally where we come in and we build a team around what they need. And for most of those clients, we stick with them for long, long periods of time. So we do smaller project based work from medium sized to smaller companies, but our bread and butter is more marketing operations. and always on multi-channel, highly diverse campaigns and kind of highly competitive, like sales driven environments is where we excel. And those are our best clients. And it's easy to say now, cause when you've been around, you look at who's stuck with you for the longest. You're like, okay, what is, what is exactly am I doing for them? There must be something there. <laughs> so it's, it gets reverse engineered as time goes on.
1: <laughs> well, you know, so interesting when I think of, <clears throat> when I think of culture at a marketing firm, I you know, at first glance, I think people may believe or not believe that it's a marketing firm it's fast moving they have ideas so the culture's got to be incredible funny enough i i actually think maybe a little different when i think of marketing firms knowing what i know today i think of a creative agency that would have a complex culture and it would be more complex than a regular company because some of the brains are more on this creative artist side which can create more challenges more conflicts more emotions am i right or wrong and and let's get into you know where you were, and and when culture even got on your radar?
2: Well, you just described um, my business partner and I. <laughs> so I own this business 50-50, my long-term business partner, Chad Croker. We joke, we have a business marriage. We've been married for many, many years and gone through those tribulations. But Chad comes from the creative side. I come from the operation side. So our business has always been anchored in the Wow. Process. That sounds neat. I'm like, wow, how did you even come up with that idea? Can we, can we create a process for that? So that's been the DNA of our culture right out of the get go. And that was the formula that I think why it's worked as well as it had, because we've always had these two schools of thought, but because of our shared values and how we met in the middle, we were able to move forward when maybe we both thought the other one was a bit nuts For, for thinking of the world the way they did. Which is going to be different than the way you do. So that's been a root of our and when you're when you're young and you're six, eight people and you're just running as fast as you can, it kind of just gets blended together into a state of a state of chaos. But the risk of burnout and the risk of really grinding people into the ground in the agency world is really high, not only because of the volume of work, but because what you said, there's a lo- there's a constant tug of war between creativity for the lack of a better way to describe it and process and actually running a sound, scalable business. It's a tough balance. And I right. we've got it a little more figured out now but i'll never want to say it's i don't ever want to say figured out period
1: yeah of course but it's no taking way. a while but, but, no, not. but let's go back Tyler. let's go back to when you and your partner were just like houston we have a problem you know i've had those moments i'm sure you have we talked briefly about this when was houston we have a problem this isn't working we've got so-and-so behaves that way so-and-so behaves that way there's misalignment what, what was the first like ah we, this is a we don't even, we, we weren't even thinking about this side of our business. It's time to think about it. Was, did you have that moment?
2: We hundred percent did. I would say it was at the end of 2011, the beginning of 2012, when we won uh, agency of record for Honda Canada. So we were one of four. We were the underdog. We were nine people at that time. I think the next closest agency to us was a hundred people just for scale. And like yeah. Head count is a number. That makes sense. And we kind of had no business winning that account at the time from our ability to operate, but we really knew the product. We were really connected to the customers, So we were the right agency because of our connection to who they were selling to and what, what they were selling. But we went from nine people to 20 people in about three months and literally everything blew up. We had no systems. We hired incorrectly. We hired, oh, you can do the job. Great. We'll hire you. Three quarters of the hires were the wrong fit culturally because we really hadn't identified what we were hiring against. So that was probably the year that just because we started driving faster <laughs> on in the car that we were in from the metaphor perspective, everything started to shake and vibrate and a wheel came off. And we were able to hold on to the business because we just kept leaning in and kind of almost brute force and hanging on by your fingernails. But our culture, our culture not only imploded because we hired quote unquote the wrong people because we didn't know who we were actually trying to hire. We didn't have a model so Tyler, against. I just want to I just want to clarify. So it in. sounds
1: like at that point you didn't have here's our behaviors, here's our core values. That wasn't, it was just, hey, it's just nine of us. We get along we, yes. well, we doubled and we're in trouble now. Sorry. Uh, yeah,
2: back uh, uh, no, hundred. So please, yeah, please jump in. I can go, I can rail this story us. Uh, so don't be it, don't hesitate. And absolutely, we had never taken the time. Oh, you know, we identified our values as, you know, creativity and intention. And they were very fun, fluffy words that were great and look good on the wall of a marketing agency, but we really didn't know what they meant or we didn't know how to make them. And we still didn't even know at the time. We just knew it wasn't working and it was becoming, it wasn't fun to work there anymore. And as a leader slash right. owner, when I mean, you don't like working at your own company, that's a tough day. And I think many people listening probably relate to that one. <laughs> but,
1: you know, it's interesting because, and I was talking to a founder about this yesterday. You know, it goes from tough day to tough month. Then you have a problem, right? Like, it's like, we all have tough days, tough week. Oh, is this a problem? Tough two weeks starting to become a problem, tough month problem, right? Especially when it comes to people. And so, so what did you guys do? What, you you, you know, you, you, a wheel fell off, you kept the customer. That was kind of maybe the end, but walk us through the the challenges. Had What was the first step in like, okay, you know, we've got a problem here.
2: I think the first thing we, we, what we focused on first was workflow. If we're not setting people up to feel that they can get accomplished during their day that, you know, and we've adopted this later in life, but the, the be easy, dot, 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 be easy to find the files, be easy to collaborate, be easy to know what you're working on next. So we focused very much on workflow first because everything was kind of broken and fraying at the seams from HR to finance to just how we got projects managed. My belief at the time was if we're not... if I'm going to focus on culture and everything to be awesome over here, but the minute they turn to do their work, everything they do frustrates them. That's not going to work for me. So we focus very heavily on like, let's operationalize for a company that was 50 people. Let's build the infrastructure around that while simultaneously starting to really talk about who we are and what we care about, not only in terms of what we deliver to our clients, but in terms of how we interact with each other. But we went workflow first, because my so, belief is that no one cares about pizza after work if your whole day was crappy and the next day was also going to be crappy because of your the workflow. Mm.
1: That's really interesting. So I was uh, I attended not too long ago a Jim Collins event in Chicago. Oh,
2: nice. Okay. Mm.
1: He did a one-day workshop. I love his work. I mean, I, I just, you know, our, our entire team believes in what he does. We love the flywheel. We actually just worked on the hedgehog concept, which we hadn't really solidified. Okay. <clears throat> but one of his concepts, which it sounds like you know, and, and there's no right or wrong, there's just concepts, but he always talks about the who and then what. So you get the who in first, and then what is the who going to do? So that's right. people in the right seats. And then then yeah, it's more the important bus, to figure out the what bus. these people are going to do. That's right. And it sounds like you actually went a little bit to the what. Let's figure out these systems because no matter who we hire, they're just going to have so much and they're going to
2: leave here, right? Is that what you're saying? To a certain extent. And you can't land. It's hard to land the plane to change the engines, right? That's that one's been around forever. We had to change the engines while the plane was flying because we also had a new client that said, Oh, you're going to do X amount of work. And then is what the pitch was and what we staffed for. And then they doubled it. So there was no parking it. <laughs> so we need to get the work done back to holding on to the client. Cause if you lose the client in our business and most businesses, the whole party gets to be over. That's, that's who turns Bad. the lights on. Right. And the culture, when the client leaves, we had the client that was like, we have more work. Oh, we, this is great. We haven't had an agency of record before. We want to give you more, give you more. So for us, we needed the people because we needed to get the work done because we actually had more work than we had people. So we focused on workflow, I think was at the time, again, I look back on it and, oh, it's so clear at the time that made sense because there was a degree of survival of if we mess right. this up, we don't get to do a redo on this, right? Mm-hmm.
1: No, and now I get it. So that you, you are, you had to figure out the what because the client, if they had to figure out that you didn't have the what, you're in trouble. right? A hundred
2: percent. Oh yes, and that's you know in our world, it's on time, on task, on budget. Clients care about all those three things in a different order. They were all about on time, on task, and on budget. Almost came third. And not because budget wasn't important, but it was less of a concern. They went from a world of like missing all of their campaign deadlines to working with multiple agencies. They brought in a single solo partner, like an old school agency of record style model where they're like, we want you to do it all because we want to get organized. We That's how we kind of won the business was not on the creative. It was, this is how we're going to help you get organized. So if we didn't do that, we were going to not, we weren't going to live up to our promise. And that's right. a sure way not to get invited back to the party.
1: <laughs> no, no, got it. Okay. So, so you start to build out your systems start to, you know, get rid of some of the turbulence uh, yes. from friction remove,
2: remove friction, remove friction. Right.
1: And so, and then what, what was next?
2: Continue to grow. And then we started to really look at the people and like, okay, these are just not, maybe they were the right people, but they were the right people for someone else's company. There was drama and culture and clickiness. And like, we're too small to have all these problems. Like, when did it turn into like high school? I can't deal with this. So we started to really then identify and we brought in some HR, uh, some HR support from the outside. At a 20 person company, you don't have a whole team of HR people, but I knew someone who was a very senior in the HR in the HR space and say, okay, let's just start looking at how we're going to start mapping out. Not only what roles we need in the future, but how do we start to look? And we've had a bunch of iterations around it, but something that really landed for me years ago when it comes to values, and I'll just camp out on that for a second was a value has to have a viable alternative to be, to, to be of worth to the organization. And we wrestled with that for a long time. And, and what does know, that mean?
1: Tyler, can you explain that?
2: Trustworthy isn't a viable choice because being untrustworthy, you shouldn't be in business, mm. you know, being uh, innovative. First of all, what does that even mean as out of values? But you could be like, there's lots of in businesses like, well, I don't really want you to be innovative. I, I need you to be actually pretty solid and pretty consistent. I need you to do my accounting in a certain way. And certain things that had to be viable as an alternative were something you had to use to filter your values. Then quickly after that, we ran into another concept was observable behaviors. And we said, okay, I think this makes sense for us. We're very practical, very hands-on. And we said, I don't want I want values that are going to be so easily recognizable based on how someone acts that we don't actually even have to define it. And this was over a couple of year period of time of like some kicks at the cans and some iterations. And we've now had the same values probably like the last five years, five, six years. And I'll be accountable, be helpful, be resourceful, speak up and be curious to learn. And we purposely did not define them beyond this, the words, and we went and we first rolled them out to the team. We had them say back to us what we, what they thought they meant. And now we've now got team members that will be, well, you know, I actually could have been, I could have been more resourceful in that situation. We do like a post-mortem or a lesson learned. And we started focusing on that. And all of a sudden it just started to make sense for our organization and people really started to grab onto it.
1: So Tyler, let me go back. Cause there's two things that you said that I was curious about. One is um, you had mentioned putting that stuff together at that period of time, what happened? Was it clear as day that there was a misalignment with, you know, 30, 40, 50% of the team and what happened to them? Did they exit? Did they get in line? Because it's hard to get people to change behaviors. Right. And so what happened? Um, I would
2: say very few quote unquote, the ones that got in line were already, were already in line to start with. Like, and when I say that, you know, when you don't have values, doesn't mean you don't know who's not a fit right there was people that were just acting in a certain way that were like wow that is just like it's, it was taking up so much time it was eating up resources it was causing drama it was distracting from the work it was leaving some people feeling beat up at work because someone was just ragging on them all the time well, even without a set of values there was you know i don't want to uh, go too kumbaya with it but there's a certain point where this just isn't working this is just not good human behavior in, in 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 the sense that it was Alienating individuals and also really destroying our ability to deliver quality work to our client. Did, did they leave, Tyler? Did you? Did some you, of them some ways? of them left on their own. Some of them, it was my idea. Some of them, we paid them to right. leave. Others chose to leave on their own. But I right. would say most of the ones that were, quote unquote, not the right fit. I want to use the right words here. Like, oh, there was, wasn't there was anything wrong with them? They just weren't the right fit yep. for us. Yep. So they had to get the F out and uh, as quick as humanly possible. So we exited some, and we've gone through a couple waves of that, probably two or three waves of that over the last kind of eight years if you think about mm-hmm. as the companies evolved and getting into COVID was a whole nother bag of tricks, which I'm sure we'll get into.
1: And so I was curious you, the second part when you said we didn't Define these words, accountability. We didn't define them. And what we did is had open discussions with people about what they thought about that. Now, yeah. in, you know, when I visualize that, I think even at 5, 10, 15, 20 people, they're going to give you different feedback of what I think this, I think that teamwork is different than what you think it means. So, yep. how did you get alignment again? Because uh, so I, what I thought you were going to say is then we had to define it and make sure we were all aligned. But you didn't. You kind of said, no, no, we just kept moving. So,
2: walk me through that. We had a pretty tight orientation around it from a leadership perspective and really went from the coaching model of like, let's have conversations, let's work this in because we all know, or we've all learned maybe putting it up on the wall. Okay, cool. Step one, what are you going to do to actually make this come alive in your organization? So we took on, and at the same time, we tried to really move away from kind of the annual review process and really focus on, okay, what's a salary review? What's a compensation review? And what's a constant feedback cycle around coaching? and how do we make sure that when we're coaching with an individual having a conversation we're having open dialogue around this so to say we didn't define it is a bit is a bit brazen we as a leadership team defined it amongst ourselves and everyone there was accountable to somebody on the team. So we were, we used a coaching model of kind of conversational style of bringing it up consistently and using real life examples on projects where things went really well, where things went off the rails and like kind of a lessons learned approach, using those five pillars to really kind of give it meaning and create a little bit of a shared. So we did define it. It just wasn't that, okay, it's defined it. and now we're going to sail away from it. It was brought into a more of a coaching model and how do we keep this top of mind as, as, as regularly as possible. And that's where and, I you know, think the work never ends there, right? Absolutely. I think people miss
1: that as the the power or importance of bringing those values or behaviors to life that, that all of a sudden it goes from me against you or me versus you and creating tension about what I was pissed off of yesterday to us having a discussion or me coaching or leading you around a discussion about our values. And it's just way less personal. It's about the company has these values and behaviors, which it expects. Let's talk about uh, you know, how yesterday, how you were aligned or misaligned. It just makes those conversations so much easier. You don't have to be a, totally a professional coach. you know. And I think most people don't understand that piece of it. What are your thoughts?
2: Um, I completely agree. I love the concept of like, hey, I'm not here to talk about you. I'm here to talk about the thing. I'm literally placing a cup on I've used this visualization so many times. Let's talk about this thing, which maybe is the project or what went off the rails. And something else we did, was a high degree of personal accountability of like, hey, you know what? I wasn't as resourceful as I could have been and getting back to you on that. So I'm gonna call that and I'll make do better next time. So we took on a, a leading by example, which isn't the best way, it's the only way from a leadership team perspective, even with each other, where it wasn't for me to say, you weren't accountable. Let's start with calling myself out, where it's like, ah, you know what? I didn't speak up and I should have. Like I saw that kind of going off the rails. I was busy, I just didn't bother. And if I would have said something yesterday, we wouldn't have got here a week from now. The leading by example portion, we started to do that with each other and having a leadership team that really gelled with a high degree of trust and vulnerability allowed us to get a lot better at that with each other and then demonstrate that behavior to the rest of the organization.
1: Got it. Because that was my next question. So how did your behavior change? But it sounds like you were extremely focused on self-accountability and vulnerability, right?
2: 100%. And we did some, if I look at probably 2019 before COVID, as a leadership team, we brought in an external coach actually it was one of the coaches that really coached that really gave us the insight of like start with observable behaviors. He'd done some work at IBM years ago and they'd had some really interesting research of when all of a sudden it was observable, this I did or I didn't started to slowly disappear. Back to your point about, well, was I this or was I that? So we did a little bit of 360 work as well as a leadership team to really give each other feedback. And a lot of it showed up where we were not opening the kimono where we weren't being as vulnerable with each other. So we did some pre-work. It just didn't happen overnight. Oh, we're magically going to become more vulnerable tomorrow. We did some work to get there. No question.
1: That's good. And I think that's, that's critical. You know, I think there's a lot of companies that get this wrong that bring in External HR resources or consultants to try to execute, they don't change their behavior. There's no look in the mirror moment, which is detrimental. <laughs> it's like this is all smoke and mirrors at that point, right? So it's hard to have someone
2: you. do this to you or for you. You know what I mean? You've got yeah. to be an active participant in in, 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 yep. in all this. And I do think, and I've come back to this all the time. At the end of the day, you know, we've got individuals that if you've got a group of people that are that Pursue a degree of self-awareness, personal accountability, like, hey, what role did I play in this versus like, Ron, I can't believe you did that to me and made me feel this way. Mm. That's a tough one. And I do think that most leadership development at any level is personal development first to become the better leader second, however that shows up, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. And, you know, this is probably harsh, but I, I think that there's a lot of times when, because I see a few things, right? Uh, two things in particular one, when a company or founder founders agree to these principles, uh, behaviors, values, once they're executed, they have coworkers, employees that all of a sudden have been around for a long time that that are misaligned. And then they retract or try to do some hybrid. You, you are accountable to this, but not you. And it's a mess. And so they retract. They can't keep moving forward. They don't have the courage in some cases. And then the other thing I see, um, which I think it's a... If your job as CEO is to make the best decisions for the company and you've made a decision that culture is important by design versus default and to build a foundation of values that you then have to adhere to and you can't, you should step down. I just think you should step down. You're the long leader because you can't outsource that. Some people don't like hearing this. This is true. You should. If you can't get there, it doesn't mean you can't work to get there, but if you can't get there and you don't want to put in the work, you should step down and hire a professional leader that is coming in line with those values. Thoughts? Am I too harsh?
2: I love it. I had someone say to me the other day, you know, you know what good corporate values do? Keep the company from becoming the sociopath that it probably is. I'm like, wow, that is a powerful statement. I'd never heard that before. You know, it, a sociopathic company fires people when it needs to, it needs to protect itself, it has no emotion. You've got to bring those values in so it isn't the, the out of control sociopath. I thought it was just a right. funny, like, yeah. And if you can't get out of your own way, and if you actually get that 360, and I got a little bit of that feedback at one time, like where I was becoming the problem, I had two choices. I love what you say: either get on the train or get off.
0: <laughs> yeah. And
2: and 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 that can be a tough one, especially when you get into founders. A professional leader is one thing. A founder and my baby and all that kind of stuff gets messy real quick.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I I think of my own leadership or, or journey, I should say, as like Ron. 1.0 and then Ron 2.0. And there's probably a 3.0 coming, you know? And so it's, it's, it's. I journey. hope so, Ron.
2: I hope so. I don't know you that well, That's but, <laughs> but any, any leader that I know, if I look, I just had a big milestone. I just turned 50 recently, which is a, which is a funny milestone. Cause it's, everyone asks you that, Oh, I look back and I say like, well, what advice would you give yourself? I'm like, I wouldn't. Taking it anyways, <laughs> I, right. I had I was doing my thing and I had a little bit of this and lack of vulnerability and maybe a lack of self-awareness. A, maybe a lack of self-awareness. I was thirty, my first like leadership management roles. I thought being a leader was putting those motivational posters on the wall. It's, that's not what it is, Ron.
1: <laughs> absolutely. You're, so, you're so you know, like... if
2: you're if you're not learning, it's oh man. I don't know. I, I you're doing a disservice, and you're you're holding the you're holding yourself and your company back.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. So you know, I think back to that. Time that you were in, and we're going to go back in time again. And I think to when I was in the same time with my security company, and and I remember that the next challenge for me was we had finally developed these behaviors and clarified them. We were aligned fine, but then we didn't hire for, and that was a big mistake. We Uh, onboarded for.
2: Did you run into that? Yeah. Well, of course, because if we if I said no, we didn't, that means every hire would have been bang on, and that was not the case. (laughs) We
1: well, let me ask you this: Tyler. Did you put a strategy? Did you did you beat me at the game? Because I, I I missed it. I didn't think of screen for the attributes which drive these behaviors. I was just like, no, we on we have an onboarding program which is Tyler welcome to the team team driven yeah. and blah 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 blah. And we're like forcing this down your throat, and you're like, yeah, sounds great. That's not who I am. I'm not aligned, and that would come out in some version later on. Did you have a strategy then? Did you did you you know? Because back then, for me, I guess when I did that, it was 2000. Eleven ish. I don't know. Maybe around yeah. the same time as you. You know. Yeah, I was and gonna I say probably similar.
2: Yeah. yeah. No way. Yes and no. We talked. We talked about it. It wasn't. It wasn't disciplined. It wasn't structured. It was still a little bit more ad hoc. It was still relying on the individual that was doing the recruiting to just quote unquote be good at that and be able to, you know, a little be a bit of a psychologist, mind reader, uh, fortune teller, like those types of things. It's got a lot more structured over the years. Our onboarding has got a lot better, especially we've moved. We're a full work from anywhere model, so our onboarding is mission critical it always was but you could feel like you could get away with stuff when you'd bump into them in the office but now that's not that's a non-negotiable it still could be better like i i'd love to tell you it's perfect but it's 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 absolutely not at first it was very ad hoc and it was very relying on the skills of the individual that was doing the majority of the hiring and she's still in right. that, in that role so she's gotten more refined at it and i think even the last 3 years through going to remote We've gotten much better at like keep it top of mind, keep it top of mind in every aspect of the business. And that's improved since going remote because we knew we knew it was a make or break for us.
1: So this is interesting. I'm gonna do a live kind of demo here of how our company is trying to solve this problem today with AI. I think this is I don't know if you're using this, but like the attribute that drives the behavior is is actually a complex thing to try to figure out. And then the questions to screen for that attribute are complex. So yeah. so I'm gonna do this live while we are on the air here. So for fun, I'm going to open chat GTP. Here we go, just for fun here. What is the attribute that would drive innovation?
0: Curiosity is often seen as a key attribute that drives innovation. It leads to asking questions, seeking new solutions, and imagining possibilities beyond the status quo. Being open to new experiences.
1: So I'm cutting it off Mm -hmm. because it's probably going to go on forever, but I'm going to do this now, now watch this. What are some unique questions I could use in an interview to screen a candidate for curiosity?
0: You could ask, can you tell me about a time when you went beyond the brief to solve a problem? Or how do you stay updated or learn within your field? These questions can reveal if a candidate is naturally inquisitive and proactive about learning. Have you had a chance to interview someone?
1: No, I haven't. Leave me alone. So (laughs) that
2: was fun. That was awesome. Well
1: done. So AI, I mean, we use this now to build, what are the attributes for behaviors? And this is stuff that we used to have eight of us around a board table at whiteboard, I should say, trying to figure this out debating if it was curiosity or not, or is it, I mean, and, and look, I'm not saying that this is 100% accurate all the time, but I will tell you, it guides the process. You can now finally, for companies, can use AI in this process to get out in front of a big challenge that we think about. We don't have the time. It's on our expertise. And, and so it's fantastic. So highly recommend uh, to use that. We're using it at all levels of the business. It's It's interesting. What are your thoughts?
2: Uh, I that love was it. Was that neat? Was that, that, that was very cool. A good, a good way to way <laughs> way to take the risk and go. Okay, I haven't prepped this. Allegedly, uh, we're going to give this a try.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, so, uh, it, I it's love smart. it. Smart. And that. So, just for those who just were listening, that that was Chat GTP. Uh, I do pay for the the subscription version.
2: Nice. Yeah. As as do well. I. Haven't really started using the audio. I use we use it quite a bit in our organization. We have certain individuals. We're still at a point where. The individuals that are comfortable with it are using it more. The individuals that are still like, "Mm, I'm not sure are using a little bit less. We haven't mandated across our organization, like our copywriting teams obviously use it. Our strategy team, some of our operations team, uh, I keep floating. They'll be like, I'm not sure how to solve this. I'm like, well, let's do it right now. And I'll literally pull it up and almost do exactly what you just did. I love the way you used it that way. Cause like you said, it might not be perfect, but if it gets you 80% there, the time saving is, well, it's, it's insane actually.
1: (laughs) hundred percent. And then we've gone as far as to use that for some of our team members. And then, you know, if those who are listening do like an ABC ranking, C's are individuals that you wouldn't rehire B's. Are your steady uh, eddies and A's you can't live without? We then test that, you know, and we have it scored. And so we've used those questions as multiple choice. These are for more frontline roles for our business. Um, yep. But it's it, it actually showed up pretty really well and it's been scoring quite We're in the strike zone. I'll say that. I was really, uh, really encouraged. Anything that
2: can give you an up or give you an yes. advantage in a recruiting environment. Because again, back to the fact, we're not mind readers. I'm not a psychologist, nor do I have time to be in those environments. Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I think that this is one of the most difficult things. I think of my journey and and we tried to you know just kind of be thoughtful about how to answer those questions before and i talked about in my book you know scaling culture and ai was not a thing in 2022 when that came out or 2021 it's it's, it's
2: a one-year anniversary like right now isn't it where gpt kind of hit the market like end of november i I think so and 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 then i'm just a a lot's happened in a year on a hundred
1: percent you can hack the system i think that this this tool can be used to really help companies for that final like. Okay, great that we have these values, but what are the attributes, and how do you screen for those things? You know, and some of it is um, common sense, but there's a lot of debate and a lot of gray in there. And so, the guidance that uh, can be provided, I think, is just incredibly helpful. So, well, the, you know, the, the value—the
2: value for a company is also a little bit smaller and doesn't have an HR team, it doesn't have a complex or a, or a, or, a, or a fully baked or sussed out hiring or recruiting process where these questions have been preordained and and been built out or had to brought in a team to build their whole hiring model that's the majority of companies like those are the few and far betweens a lot of it is the small to medium size that are struggling where they maybe only need to do half a dozen hires a year and they need to be the right ones <laughs> and a 50/50 yeah, 50, 50 success rate that that can really damage because we all know recruiting is an arduous process mm. you know and i i
1: don't know about you but i've started to look at one thing i didn't look at um, way back when i was hiring is the risk to certain roles, uh, and impact to getting it wrong. So for instance, you know, there's that old saying, uh, hire, slow, fire, fast. Now, in some cases, I hire fast, fire fast, by the way, you just need to move. I think yeah. the world's moved a little different. So I think that, that statement has been adjusted, but, um, I don't know about you, Tom, I'm curious your thoughts, you know, if, if very simply, if there's a senior leadership role, we really take our time. There is like multiple interviews, your peers, who's reporting to you, they have to buy in lunch, dinner, breakfast, go out, and walk the beach, you know, like it's all these different things because the risk, your influence to the culture is very high versus someone who might be coming in in an accounts payable role, doesn't have the influence, is more p- punching data, risk is lower. We bring the culture temperature down a little bit. Do you think about it like that? Or what are your thoughts in your strategies in, in culture hiring?
2: We do. Our first, our first and foremost is are they client facing or not? So our world is so heavily like ingrained into the relationship between us and the client. So if they're going to be client facing the risk there, well, it's, a, it's literally a non-negotiable, it's a non-negotiable risk. You know, we've got some clients that were 12 years as their main agency. We've got another client that's six years, another client that's four or five, like these are long-term relationships and delivering the work is the table stakes, your ability to interact and know them, understand them, cycle deal and and make them feel supported, elevate them to be the the hero in their own organization because they work with you. Those are mission critical. If you're a behind the scenes designer that's gonna be working with our team, we can take a little bit more of the hire fast, fire fast kind of approach. It's less risky. And we also, because we're small, we include like whoever they're going to be working with or their main accountability, we include them right away. We get them involved. Something we didn't do early on, we kind of felt we knew best and then we they would inherit those people. We've changed that in the last few years and you get so much more buy-in now when that individual who's now responsible for their success actually got to take part in their hiring. And it sounds funny, but we didn't do that earlier on. That was a mistake that we made for sure.
1: Interesting. So. Let's go back to, you know, uh, the previous Tyler, 2012. So maybe that is 1.0 and and you've got great self-awareness. I applaud you for that, by the way. And and, and that is such a key. Thank uh, you. We're, 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 in,
2: we're in progress, my friend, but thank you. <laughs> Thanks for noticing. You too. Me. We're, all, we're all a work in progress, man.
1: <laughs> Hell right, man. Uh, so, so what was next? What was the big stumbling block? And then after that, let's open up to like, let's talk about what are we think our gaps are today in our culture. Let's have some fun. So, so what was your stumbling block after that?
2: It was just the the pace and the change required, like how busy we were and how growth oriented um, the client was and our opportunity to grow into in that market and being able to do all this simultaneously. So always the, Oh shit. If we only had time to work on the business, if we only had time to focus on this, uh, but client work always came first. We were always client centric. And I would say that something that I've realized now more in hindsight, we were we were client centric first and employee centric second. And I think in the last few years since COVID and since just reestablishing our relationship, even with our own team, we've become a little bit more employee centric first, client second. And that's a very blurry line of like who comes first, who comes second. But I would say we always valued or always drove towards it's all about the work. It's all about the work. It's all about the work. Yeah. Yeah. We'll work on the staff stuff. Yeah. We, we care about you, but make sure you get the work done. And that definitely that frayed the edges. It really burned out some staff and it really took its toll on people. Clients loved it. But if you're burning out their favorite resource, because they're working, like there was a balance there. And I think we struggled with that for quite a few years and it's easy to put I, my finger on it now, but it meandered for sure.
1: So how'd you fix it? Cause I think of like a strategy around that, but I'm curious, what did you do or what are you guys doing today to find that balance? I know it's never perfect, but what's the strategy today?
2: The the biggest strategy, and I would say, and I'm going to thank COVID for it, is we moved to a work remote model. We work. We have a work from anywhere model where our team feels so empowered now to do their work when they want to do it, where they want to do it from, without a commute, with the convenience of their own home. That single move drove this focus on, wow, look how much better we're doing with our clients. Look at the quality of work because we're now working from home, let's unpack that. What's actually going on here? What happened? So it got better, it got worse, it got better. We went through good hiring, bad hiring, good teams culture. There's quite a bit happened since 2012. But if you go back to 2020 and the switch from home and then all of a sudden, everything just started to get better. We went, wait a second, what's going on here? Like this should be be having the opposite effect. But our team all of a sudden felt like, oh God, things are, it's easier now to perform at this organization. And then we did everything we could to make it easy, dot, 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 for them to do everything in their world. And all of a sudden as a CEO, I went, oh shit. Well, so that's what happens when you actually really put your team first. Huh. I read about it and I thought about it and I thought I was doing it, but I never really got it until it was thrown in my face. I'm being super vulnerable and transparent here about this because I got... I got a kick in the ass and I went, wow. Oh, okay. What if we actually double down on this sense of empowerment for our team? What could happen? And it's had nothing but a positive impact on our business. So I will give COVID a credit for giving me the right, the, the kick over the edge to finally get it, <laughs> to be honest with you.
1: Interesting. Um, you know, I was thinking, I'm I'm doing another Jim Collins plug here. Jim, if you're listening, send me like a thank you card or something. <laughs> just B2... something so you
2: know I'm alive. Yeah, absolutely. B2.0
1: is a beautiful book, Jim. <laughs> uh, and so anyway, um, you know, I think of his 20 mile march, you know, things are ingrained in my head uh, just from coming from Chicago a few weeks ago. And, you know, he talks about that cadence of these behaviors that you don't miss a beat. And, and so your 20 mile march could be anything, could be a client check in. For us, it's a daily huddle quarterly planning Uh, it's now an operational and finance meeting monthly which we had today these are 20 mile marches that you cannot be too busy to miss you don't miss it it happens and those 20 mile marches happen all the time and that's our that's how we balance it and then there's the belief uh, of look we don't have time i don't have time because we do get that i don't have time things are so busy and you know what i say to people and i don't know how well this lands but i say look It's as simple, Tyler. If you were going to be sick tomorrow, like throw up sick, you just get sick and you just make the time to throw up. And so (laughs) it just happens. Then you get back and the work and you go back to work. Like nothing blows up. Your job's still here. Everything's fine. It's all in your head. The 20 mile march are critically important. I, I, that's how he, you know, I wasn't even saying that uh, three weeks ago, but I understand what he means by that 20 mile march, that cadence of corporate behavior to find that balance, to get out in front of key challenges to that's your brush teeth. That's your, you know, the things that make you a better person, better company. That's that 20 mile march. And I think he's, I think he's right. You know,
2: how do you balance out? Cause I love the brush teeth. Cause I used to work in the fitness industry years ago. And it's like, oh, I didn't have time to work out. I'm like, did you brush your teeth this morning? Right. But yeah. Do you always brush your teeth? Well, yes, because it's important. So I'm like, don't use time, <laughs> but, but urgent versus important. Cause I think when you hear yeah. busy, it's because urgent and fires where what I'm hearing 20 mile marks, these are important. Like these are, these are non, they're so important. They're non-negotiable, but they might not feel urgent. So how do you balance that? Yeah. So it's, it's education because to me, Important eliminates urgent,
1: right? You're urgent because you're reacting to because you lack a system, you lack a foundation, a process, a technology. So
2: then you want to tell important. all our clients that, but I, oh never mind. So I don't want to speak. Yeah,
1: out. right. Like, <laughs> like so. Then it's pause. What are the bottlenecks uh, that are causing this reactive, busy burnout feeling? Get together quarterly. And get into the important. And then you run that process for the quarter, whenever that's going to be. If maybe that's a year yep. for some companies. But so that that's, it's really an education and a buy-in of what's in it for you as employee or whoever this is, if you take time for important versus urgent. And then of course you get in the meat of, you know, if you're going to do important, you need to block out two hours a month, two hours a week, a half hour a week in your calendar with discipline to deal with important, right? And so there is that, Ec- the, the, the that expectation in some cases, right?
2: But also structuring it a way that I like what you said. Like what's in it for me? Like what's the value? If I if I agree to this, participate in this agreement we have here, then I'm gonna make time for these important things. Am I That's gonna right. get a benefit out of it? And being disciplined of like, oh, we're booking a meeting just to book a meeting. Oh, that, that gets really unimportant really quick, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Totally. And it's because it's change management, it's buy-in, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's let's um let's open up a little bit. Um I was just thinking as we were chatting, what what are, what's something you're working on today? Or do you want me to kick us off? I'm just thinking of like, where's my, what's next for me, uh, culture-wise do you want me to kick us sure. off and maybe you can kind of help me through something about. Sure. Ab-
2: absolutely. I can play with it. We obviously went, rem- we went, we went, we went to work from home, like everybody else during COVID, we decided that we loved it. So we decided to lean all in on it. So now we've got a work from anywhere model and we're still exploring it. And it's so far it's working. I do call it a big experiment and we have no intention of changing it, but what, do we need to do? Cause now we we streamlined down, we got rid of some some team members that they weren't the right fit, or they self-selected that they really want to be back in the office. But now we've started hiring again and we have gone from a model where we have as many contracts, like we've gone to less of a bit of a smaller FTE model with a more of a contract model. So then how do we then work with those individuals that are as much as part of a team as someone who's a full-time employee because of the role they play and the value they, so how do we make sure they feel included and are part of it? How do we make sure that our team members that are now living in Italy, living in just t- temporarily, we had a Matt leave come back, that she would have had to not come back, but we said, Hey, no problem. If you're willing to do like these kind of hours so it works with the rest of the team, let's do it. So we've had Matt leaves come back where we would have lost a good employee because she just was gonna be overseas with her husband, that kind of thing. How do we then now start to scale this once it goes beyond the people that all signed up for the deal originally? And that's what we're exploring a little bit. And it's the tools, it's culture, it's onboarding, it's hiring. But we're kind of in the early days of the next phase of how this work from anywhere model actually grows.
1: Yeah, I love that. I, I, if you, if you're open, I'd love to share some strategies that Please. we need during, yeah. you know, because we've been dealing with this. You know, what you're talking about when I hear that is how do we solve the relationship problem, which is going to be lacking because it's very different when you walk to an office and Todd, you and I bump into each other and we're talking about the weekend and our kids and our pets and this and that. When you and I show up for the half hour Zoom or virtual meeting, that doesn't happen. Then we're done a half hour later. It's over. Like that's it. It's business gone, business gone, right? And so, you know, we were virtual before the pandemic uh, as well. And, and but during the pandemic, it dropped off even more. And, and what we, you know, what was staring us in the mirror is the lack of intentionality about relationship building. And so that's all we did. We kind of started saying, okay, we need to build this in, be intentional and purposeful about it. So what does that mean? Well, everybody has relationship commitments every quarter. So, Tyler, my commitment is to you. And we talk about what we're gonna do. Are we gonna zoom and have lunch, a coffee, go for a walk? This is non-work related. Check in. How you doing? Tell me more about yourself. We, if we're not intentional about it, we lose. And so, yep. you know, we, you know, during the pandemic to stay connected, we did virtual board games. We had a virtual, you know, cocktail night or something, a lot of virtual coffees and lunches. And it was just about that quarterly 20 mile march on commitments and relationships and everyone had to subscribe to that because the intent was you know what's in it for you well it's in it for you because your colleagues don't know you they don't know how to pass the ball with you that well yet and so that's a problem because you haven't
2: spent time on court together absolutely
1: (laughs) no trust built that's right you don't trust that i can catch the ball you won't pass it to me right and the trust is is built so much faster through a relationship than I slowly pass the ball. Slowly pass the ball. The relationship builds at 10x faster, right?
2: I couldn't agree more. We've uh, so my office manager about a year into the pandemic, I was like, oh, you know, I miss it. I used to chat with people, and because I'd go, I'd fly. We had a team in Toronto, a team in Calgary. I'd fly to Toronto, take them all, take take them for coffees over a couple of days. And she goes, Tyler, I don't like. Okay, so you're not in Toronto, but why can't you just take them for coffee now? And I'm like, you know what, Julie? Wow, thanks for pointing out the most obvious thing in the world to me. So I book quarterly coffees with all my staff, and we send them a coffee card right before as if I was going to take them for a coffee. And the fun, the part that I love about it that lets me know it's landing is about half of them now, as soon as it goes into the calendar, they send me a coffee card first because it's their turn to buy, which that was not the intention, but I was like, oh, that's an indicator that this is working. That's and great. We also have an open policy. If you go for lunch with a coworker, there is no hesitation. Just submit the receipt. We don't care. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Submit. And because we had team like, oh, well, we went for lunch today just to meet up because we wanted to, like let them kind of develop the path do you mind if we res, uh, you know, submit the receipt? We're like, absolutely. Like, don't even hesitate. So some of that stuff was organic. Some of it was deliberate, but you're right. For the team members that are in the same city or if they're working on the same client, we remove any barrier they want to have. But at the same time, we don't force it, which I like, there's a little bit of a balance there because we've got some, some young moms and some individuals that, you know, doing an event or going out to participate in something is a big deal for them. So we really try to do it in a way that if you can't make it, you don't feel alienated, but how do we make sure you're included in other ways? And it is a bit, we do personalize it because we're small enough that we can.
1: I love that. That's great. Well, my turn, I'm going to go. Do it. That was please. Great. I love it.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, you know,
1: I was thinking a lot. Um, so my real estate company, we'd be probably uh, 30 staff that would be kind of full time. And then okay. we would have, I don't know, 60, 70, something like that in the field. These are part-time building ambassadors. And then there's there's also what we have, we used to call community leaders um, that would be a, a, a support for a group of building ambassadors. We're now changing that to team leads. Um, and I think our we have been default versus design on leadership development at all levels. And, and I just think it's, it's a, I think large companies do it very well, small companies. And as you transition to a larger business, there's this like, okay, I spend time with leaders and coach them, even though it's, it's just through my own experience and tough conversations and whatever, and motivational stuff. We provide some external resources to help them through challenges, but we don't have a program. And And I think for us, as I look in the mirror and and, and try to be thoughtful about this, it's not, I don't think we want something off the shelf. There's something that would be, I almost think we should develop it for the role, what they're really dealing with. Like, like, you know, I just wrote like not off the shelf. And so I think about that. And so what are your thoughts? What do you guys do something for that, Tyler? Any thoughts or comments around that?
2: Well, I'm curious in, in that sense, do you have a clear profile of like what, skills are required? Or does it still base a little bit on the individual, like overall leadership, or like to be good in this role? These are the things back to your chat GPT example. These are the things that this role really needs. How do we help individuals kind of evolve that or even or even gap analysis of where some might be amazing at some and weak at others? Like Sorry, I got more I'm more curious about how you yeah. profile it to know what the yeah. gap actually is. Mm. We're not
1: there yet. We okay. don't do either of those. We don't. Uh, I don't think we One, we haven't defined it at different, you know, so you're a regional operator. What's the leadership level? You have to have very tough conversations and blah, blah, blah. And I think that's what you're saying is what is that profile? And then what attributes drive that? And then yeah. what's the delta in gaps, right? And so no, I think that's that's probably you're right. The first step for us, and then it's okay through the gaps. It's choose your own adventure, or we we guide you through your own adventure versus that off the shelf. So that that's where yeah, you're that's going. what I,
2: that's what I was curious about because we've started doing that probably in the last like probably four years, getting a lot more disciplined around. Okay, what is the next? Where do I go with from this role? If I'm a if I'm a production designer, do I want to be graphic designer? If I'm a account coordinator, do I want to be an account manager? Do I want to be an account director? What's the path? Like, what's your job description now? Because oftentimes individuals will be like, I want this role. It's time. I've been here. I. It's the classic seniority or the, the almost, I want to call it the union mindset. I've spent X amount of days in this role. I now get to go to the next role. And we're like, well, no, no, no. That's not how it works. These are the skills. Okay, well, then what do I need? So we had a few staff really challenge us earlier on before we had this in place where they wanted it. We didn't want it. We didn't think they were ready for it, but neither one could really define what or why. So we met in the middle and started getting a lot better at that. And what I've really found, not only does it allow the time you spend to invest with that individual to be a lot more of them going, okay, this is why I'm learning it. This is where it's going to get me. It also sometimes slows down the process and away from like, well, I think I deserve it versus I think you don't versus what we're actually talking about, which is these skills and where they gap. And when that person hits them, we try to make them measurable and we try to make them smart. And it can be challenging because sometimes around leadership, it's 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 sometimes feeling more than it is fact and but it's made a big difference for us when we took the time which it always comes back to time to lay out what the what the expectation is what the gap is and then how we were going to help that individual improve it either internal coaching or bringing in someone from the outside
1: well you know i love this and jody Jacqueline, if you're listening it sounds like a great project for the both of you <laughs> The double team uh, and so you know you know it, you're right because once you get into that those specifics, then you could tailor something that's real world real job. you know yeah. uh, you don't you can actually create content around this attribute in this role or or this this gap in experience. So I like that. And I don't think that that would be especially with the help of our friend chat GTP <laughs> you know. that you could probably figure that quickly. yeah, that, that, well, and that's let's really be honest.
2: Helpful. you know we as as I reach for the device that's right by my hand and probably right by yours, we all expect a personalized experience. Like I want my, my news is personalized. My weather's personalized. It's all where I am and what I care about uh, or what the algorithm wants me to care about. That's another story. Uh, I would kind of expect my career path to be the same, you know, and as we have generations that come in expecting it, like, well, I don't care what everyone else does. I'm me and I want to be treated a certain way. I, I do appreciate that, but it's hard to do at scale. Back, you know, a thousand, two thousand-person organization—they're good at it. But oftentimes, I have some friends that work in, work in uh, executive and, and executive coaching and leadership coaching for large enterprises here in Western Canada. And It's a mixed room when they sit down to do a workshop with thirty people in the room. There's all different levels and points, and half the day is just getting some alignment that we can agree to move forward on something. It and it's off the stuff. shelf, right?
1: Like it there's this. You know, we talk about this in in learning in in the book Scaling Culture is learning in the flow. And, you know, I use this example, I'm making chicken Parmesan. I don't know if the cheese goes on top of the sauce or vice versa. And I, I YouTube it. And then I, and while I'm in the flow of doing it, I do it right, which I, nice. I think it's cheese on top. So help me tell you. Look at I don't know.
2: I, 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 no. I, I like to cook, but I haven't gone down that road yet. I think it's, on, I think it's cheese. I think it's on top. I think it's on top.
1: That I think is. the cheese on top. No, yeah, I think we'll, it's cheese on chicken. Anyways, whatever it is, you're we'll, in the we'll, flow. We'll,
2: we'll fact check this after.
1: <laughs> we will fact check this. So th- we're saying the same thing as far as once someone's in the flow of work. And, and I think about some of the leadership that we're developing in, even though today it's ad hoc, it's in the flow because it's ad hoc. Right. I've got this challenge and we we work through it. And so it's most impactful. And then to your point and question is, it becomes challenging to scale that. Then a process that That would uh, really identify those things, show the gaps, and then and continue to work with someone in the flow of that job um to really make that sticky. that That's great,
2: well, it's a lot that's a lot more like a coaching structure than a educational program to your point, mm. like which coaching, there might be principles and concepts, but it's not really off the shelf if I'm actually getting. You hear me? You listen? You observe? You give feedback? You give me strategies? You give me structures? Those might be structures. Those might be off the shelf. Some of the, I'm sure you know the coaches too. They are like, oh, I have a I have a framework for that, or I have a way to think about it. But they're still pulling it off for you, right? Versus today, we're gonna all gonna learn this, and you're like, I don't care about that, and I don't think it's relevant to me. And I don't know about you, but uh, that's when I checked out in class. Ron. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm the same. Tyler, look, this has been a fantastic conversation. I really like this. This was kind of totally off script, but but probably one of my. Uh, most enjoyable podcast. Thanks man. I for appreciate a long that. Time. Yeah. So really enjoyed the discussion. Thanks for your openness, uh, awareness, thoughtfulness. I uh, love what you're doing. And uh, it sounds like you are having an incredible journey and continuing on the ride.
2: No dull days, man. No dull days. If you, uh, if you want to be bored, this is not the, this running a company is not the way to, if, and if you do it with a sense of caring, commitment and openness to really know your own blind spots, and then see how those are getting reflected back to you while you grow as a leader. You know, I had someone say the other day, it's you often feel like you're not the right leader for the company that you're that you're that you're with, and you bring someone in, and that growth paradigm, you're often exactly where you need to be, and that growth is it's you. And I think that you know, as I've embraced that, and wrestled with that over the years, that's what gets me excited, even with a conversation like this. I'm leaving more jazzed up about the challenges of tomorrow. Not that oh, maybe I'm not, I'm the I am the right leader because I'm the one who's here, and it's up to me to figure it out. <laughs>
1: and put in the work. You got him, man. Thank Tyler. Look, thanks, thanks for man. uh thanks for your time today and uh, let's stay in touch.
2: Look forward to it. Thank you, my friend.
0: For more information about Tyler or his work, please follow him on LinkedIn or go to tylerchisholm.com. To learn more about our books or our scaling culture masterclass on how to build and sustain a resilient, high-performing team please go to scalingculture.org. And lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a comment and share the podcast with one of your friends or colleagues. We'll be back soon with another incredible guest.